0: Welcome to the audio podcast of Believer's House. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, called to lead people to Jesus, make them more like Him, and see them lead others to Him. We hope this message you're about to listen to inspires you to become more like Jesus in your thoughts, words, and actions. This morning, I'll be sharing on a sermon that I've titled, Your Will Be Done on Earth. Yes. Yeah, so uh, when Pastor Sean Scho- I know a lot of us call him Pastor Sean, What I call him Pastor Sean, <laughs> and Pastor Sean told me that I was going to share the word this morning. Um, um, he told me like some weeks back, but I, I wasn't sure what I was going to speak on, so I was just searching in my heart to say, Lord, what do you want me to search on? So there are several things that came to my mind, but one thing stuck, and that was I should share on God's will. And so you can imagine how pleasantly surprised I was two weeks ago when Pastor Shion came up and then started talking on your will, um, in the will of the Lord. This is the will of God. And I thought that the Spirit of God is one. And if you look at all the messages he's been speaking on, last week it was also something similar about the will of God. And even on Wednesday, he still spoke about the will of God. And I just felt that... This is something that the Lord wants us to share on at this time. And so I'm glad to share this message with us. And I trust in God that um, he would bless our hearts as we hear, as we share together in Jesus' name. As I was preparing this message, I remembered one very funny um, episode that happened while I was back in Nigeria. So um, I I used to work on a fintech, a financial technology company, and I was on the sales team. So every Friday, we would have a performance review session. And so during the performance, uh, the head of our division, she was a pastor. She is still a pastor anyway. And so she always likes us to have prayers before we start. And so she would ask us, let's pray. And people always thought this was an opportunity to impress her. So you find people, they will begin to pray these very long, windy prayers, particularly those who were not performing very well. They were the ones who would always want to pray to make sure that she feels good about them. So there was this particular day, she asked my direct manager and told him, "Um, pray. Guess what he did? He recited the lost prayer. (laughs) Yeah, because of course he wasn't used to Praying, he's not a church person. The only thing he could remember was the Lord's Prayer because back in Nigeria, during our elementary days, we always recite it. So this morning, I'd like us to do the same thing, okay? I know it's, um, there are some of us who might not necessarily remember, so, but of course, um, the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew, Matthew chapter six from verse nine. So let's take it together and for those who remember, okay? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Amen. Wow. (laughs) A lot of us still remember. That is so good. But unfortunately, uh, we know how um, all of these things are no longer taught in our schools, right? Because um, Christianity is taking a back seat. But this was something that every day we go to school, we recited. Uh, But when Jesus gave us this prayer, what was his thought about it? Was it thinking that it was going to be a prayer that we would pray would, would pray every time? Or was it giving us a sample, a model by which we should pray? This was pretty much a model prayer. It wasn't meant to be a prayer that every time we wanted to pray to God, we would always say this. But it was meant to be a model for us. And so this model the Lord gave us was that whenever we want to pray, We will first come to the Father and say, Father, hallowed be your name. The psalmist says, enter his gate with thanksgiving and his court with praise. And so it was important for us as believers to enter and hallow the name of our Father whenever we go to him in prayers. As a father, I can relate to this because every time my girls come around and I come back from work and they welcome me and then they ask me, Dad, how was your day? How did work go? It always makes me feel good. Although I always know that after they do that, there's always a request that comes after. Either they want to watch TV or something. But it still makes me feel good and makes me so I wonder if I feel that way, how does God also feel? And that was what Jesus was trying to tell us. That before we start bombarding the Lord with His with all our requests, we should hallow His name. The second phase is what I found very interesting. Because after he started, he now goes on and said. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And as a curious person, I would always ask myself, why did Jesus have to put that face? Why do we have to pray about the kingdom of God coming and that his will be done on earth? To answer these questions, there are two assumptions we must make. Um, And the first one is that there are some times when God's will doesn't necessarily happen upon the earth. I don't have time to start going into the details of that because that's not the subject of what I want to talk about today. But that is true because that's why Jesus asked us to pray about it. You might ask me and say, God is sovereign. How come His will? Yeah. If he was sovereign and his will always happens, then everybody will be saved. Because that's what he wants. But it doesn't always happen. But that's not my message Thing. The second thing is that there's a role we have to play to make sure his will happens upon the earth. Because that's why he asked us to pray about it. And so that will be the subject of our prayers today. And another thing I found very interesting is that this request that he asked us to do, this prayer point, was before we began to ask any other thing. You see, it was before we begin to make our request, before we start saying, give us this day our daily bread." We make that prayer. Why is that? To so explain this, I would like to share with us a story about um, the, I know a lot of us must have seen this video in social media um, about the rock, the pebble, and the sand. The video of the rock, the pebble, and the sand. For some of us who haven't seen it, I'll just explain it. So there was this professor who was trying to tell his students about the priorities of life. How they can prioritize things in life, right? And so he had this glass jar, <laughs> this glass jar. And um, he was going to fill the jar with the rocks, pebbles, and stone. And so the first thing he did was to fill those rocks. Those rocks were quite big and fill the jar with the rocks. And after that, there was no more space again. He asked the class, is this glass jar filled? And he said, yes, because it looked filled. And then he took the pebbles and began to pour them inside. And then he would shake them together to make sure that there was enough space that was coming in. And so he made sure that there was all the pebbles inside that jar. And he asked the class, is the jar filled? And they said yes, because it looked filled. And then he took the sand, and they was still able to pour the sand inside the jar because there was space between the pebbles and the, and the rocks. And then he filled the jar with all of that sand. And then his lesson was that if we don't prioritize the important things, there will be no space. Because if he had taken the sand first and filled the jar with sand, there will be no space for him to fill the other things. And this is what Jesus was also trying to feel and to tell us when he gave us this that we have to prioritize the things that matter to the one we are praying to. Because until we prioritize it, there will be no space for us to be able to do the things that we want. And that's why sometimes, that's why he gave us this counsel that we should prioritize what matters to the one to whom we're praying to and to do the will of the Father that's called us. Which is why when he was speaking in subsequent verses, like I think in in verse 33 of this passage, he was telling us, he told us there that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the other things we are looking for will be added to us. I love the way it's rendered in the contemporary English fashion. It says, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. He wants us to do his will first. And then when we have prioritized what he wants, when we've prioritized the things that matter to him, either in our place of prayer or in our lives, then he will do for us what we want. And so this morning, I would uh, like to expand on this a bit more, and will share with us three points, uh, okay? And um, the first word will be doing God's priority, doing God's priority. So now, the Lord he has given us that this is what he wants to be done, and which is His kingdom. You'll notice that when I say doing God's priority, I didn't say priorities. Priority. Because God has one priority. And that is the establishment of his kingdom. If you look at all of the scripture, from the beginning of the scripture to the end, the purpose of life, of our existence, is the establishment of his priority. That's all that life, that's all that matters. Because look at why the Bible that we study. Everything is about the establishment of his kingdom. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Uh, but what is the kingdom of God? Is it something abstract? Is it something that we see? What exactly is the kingdom of God? Romans chapter 14 in verse 17 gives us a definition of what the kingdom of God is. It's for the kingdom of God It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about external things. It's not about the things that we feel. It's not how we feel. It's not external things that makes us satisfied or give us personal pleasure. But it's about enabling righteousness. It's about ensuring that what we do is right, uh, engendering genuine righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'd like to make this a lot more simpler, right? And then talk about the perfect example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who the Scripture tells us that He is the author and the finisher of our faith, and the Scripture expects us to look up to him. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, looking unto Jesus. So this morning, we will do just that. We'll look at the example he's given to us about how we can do the will of the Father. So Jesus Christ came, as our perfect example, to do what the Father wants done upon the earth. That was literally why he came to the earth, because he left everything in heaven and for that reason came to the earth to do what the Father's will is. The psalmist, in the seventh um, messianic psalm, um, we call it messianic because it's a prophecy about the Messiah. And so because it's a psalm, We call it Messianic Psalm. So in the seventh Messianic Psalm that was written, which is Psalm 40, the Psalmist here was writing about Jesus and about how, who he was and what he came to do. In Psalm 40, reading from verse 7, he says, But then I said, Behold, I came, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is within my heart. That was who Jesus was. His heart desire and everything he wanted to do was to do the will of the Father. He came into the world and that characterized all that he did. Because if you look at everything, all that he said about himself, all that he did, it was characterized by doing the will of the Father. Several examples in the Bible. I'll just focus on a few of them. Remember the story of when he was speaking to the Samaritan woman, right? Where Um, He had his disciples, he was actually very tired and hungry. And then his disciples came together and they've gone around to go and buy food. And then they did not know what had happened between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And then we take the reading from John chapter 4 and in verse 31. John chapter 4 and in verse 31. Reading from verse 31, he said, In the meantime, his disciples ordered him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Then Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was what characterized his life, that he did not care about food. Food was secondary. The most important thing for him was to do the will of the father that sent him. And it wasn't, look at, okay, so what exactly was he doing here? He was reaching out to this woman and reaching out to the people of Samaria, to those who were lost. That was his priority. That was what the father had sent him to do. And he said of himself in the subsequent chapter, in chapter 5 and verse 30, he said, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will." but the will of the Father who sent me. So that means everything he was doing, everything we saw him doing, everything recorded about him doing, they were the will of the Father who sent him. That was how he lived his life. His life was given, he got his meaning from doing what his Father wanted him to do. He was driven by that. In so much that he said, in chapter nine, that I must walk the work of Him that sent me, that while it is yet day, because everything else doesn't matter, I must do the work of my Father who sent me, because I know that there's going to be a time when I can't do the will of the Father anymore. That's our example. He was given over to that purpose, to doing the will of the Father, and this will, this ability to focus on God's priority. It's made a lot stronger when we look at his experience at his passion. How many of us remember his story about how when he was a guest man and then he went through such an agony? It was recorded in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, um, reading from verse 41. Um, Jesus here was where it was when he was just about to be crucified and he was at the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and he, when he had withdrawn from them about a stone throw and knelt down and prayed saying Father if you are willing remove this cup from me yet not my will but always your will be done and he appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him in spirit And being in an agony of mind, he prayed all the more with earnest, earnestly and intently. And the sweat became like great clots of blood dropping down the ground. Earlier this week, um, a couple of days back, I was sharing with some friends about this particular episode that Jesus went through. I know a lot of us will think that, ah, okay, it was because he was scared of the pain he was going to go through on, the, on Calvary. Jesus isn't a coward. He wasn't scared of the pain that he was going to go through. But because Jesus was divine while he was here on the earth, and he was also human, he, what he was concerned about was the fact that he was going to carry the sin of the world upon himself. We know that God cannot behold sin. Right? Scripture tells us that God is of a purer eyes than to behold iniquity. But here was Jesus. He wasn't just going to behold it. He was going to carry it on himself. And not just carry it on himself. He was going to suffer rejection by the Father. Myself and my Father are one. That's what he always tells us. But for a moment, while the wrath of God was upon him, he was going to experience the wrath of God. So you can imagine having to go through that, to know that this is what I'm going to experience. And yet, he said, your will, not my will, I know how painful it will be. I know how difficult it will be for me to carry this, but not my will. Father, if it's how you want it done, your will be done. Even when his nature, his divine nature was revolting to the will of the Father, Yet, he still went ahead and he did it. This is, there's no greater example than this that we can have. That even when it looks like the things that the Lord wants us to do, it's not going to work. It's an inconvenience for us. Our Lord and our Savior did it. That when it wasn't convenient for him, he did it. And after he had finished this phase of the Father's will, He gave us a commandment. He passed the baton back to us. And that's why he said in John chapter 20, in verse 21, he said, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. As the Father had sent him, he also now sent us as well. Gave us that baton and said, now it's your turn to do what the Father has asked me to do. I've done my part for now. So the question is, are we doing what he has asked us to do? And what is it that he has asked us to do? He's given us that great command to say we should go out and to win souls, to do just like he did while he was here on the earth. I like the fact that the Spirit of the Lord is one, because look at what we prayed about doing Fresh All this morning. It's, of course, Pastor Docas did not know I was going to talk about this, but this is what's is on the heart of the Lord that we would take on the assignments he's given to us and do just like our father, our master, has done, because he's given us that commission in Matthew chapter 20, 28. Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and said to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Go deaf and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I just say that as believers, whatever we are doing, if it's not centered around this priority of the Father, we're not living right. We're not living according to the will of the Father. This takes me to my second point which is aligning to the will of the Father, aligned to the Father's will. So God, all through the age, he's always looking for men and women whose will are aligned with his. People he can use for his purpose. He's constantly looking out for men and women who would align their will to his purposes. And that's why he was saying in Ezekiel, that I search for a man, Ezekiel chapter twenty-two, in verse thirty, I sought for a man among them who will make a wall and stand at a gap before me on behalf of the man on the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. The Lord is seeking out for people every time. First of all, it was Noah. It was in, it was Noah. He found it was Abraham. He's constantly looking out for people. In this age, he's also looking out for men and women who will stand on behalf of the land. And when he finds these people, people whose will are aligned to his, he becomes for them a strong and mighty one. When he finds people whose priority are his own, he stands for them as a priority as well. That's why he says in Second, Second Chronicles, in chapter 16, in verse, in verse 9, I read just the first part. He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, through, look throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He's always looking for people whose heart is loyal to him, and then he will prove himself strong on their behalf. As we align our will with the Father's will, we will literally become people through whom he's able to enact his power upon the earth. It was um, E.M. Bounds that said it, and I love, I always like to quote what he said. He says that men are God's method upon the earth. We are, who, we are channels by which God will enact his power upon the earth. It's, and it is only according to the extent we permit him to walk through us. Yes, we are his method. We are the ones he would use. We are the channels he would use. But it's a function of how well we give ourselves up for him to be able to use us. Is a function of how well we yield ourselves to him. In Ephesians chapter 3, reading from verse 20, I know a lot of us quote this passage, and I myself, I quote it, but I never complete it. We always never complete it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. We always say, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly than all that we can ask or think, and we stop there. We always say, yes, it's according to him that is able to do everything we can ask or think of. But there's a final part to it that says, according to the power that is at work in us. The power that is at work in us is what allows him to do exceeding abundantly. I know some of us are mathematicians, right? We understand mathematics. I'll just take it in the mathematics. So this is pretty much saying that The power that is at work in us is directly proportional to how much we allow God to walk through us. Until we have given ourselves over to him. Until we have surrendered our will, surrendered our passion, giving everything to him. What God is able to do is directly proportional to how much we allow him to. How much we are able to give ourselves to him. Yieldedness, I know if you check the dictionary, you will never find that word. It's the Christianese, right? Yieldedness. Yieldedness is a function of how well we are able to give ourselves to God. To the uttermost, to the completeness, to the total surrender that we're able to give ourselves to the will of God. And that's how he's able to walk through us. I love horses. Oh, Yeah. I know a lot of us know that, um, (laughs) a lot of us know that I I, um, support, I watch, I support a club called Arsenal. Pastor Shane always, always comments me about it every Sunday. Yeah. But I, I would also make my own boast because he, last week, I think it was last week, he boasted about his club, two weeks ago, he boasted about his club. There's only one club in the whole of England that has gone unbeaten throughout the season. They never lost. And that's Arsenal Football Club. (laughs) So, Pastor Shion, yes. (laughs) However, that's beside the point. I love horses, right? And the reason I love horses is because they are elegant creatures. They are creatures that, if you look at the grace and the muscle they have, you see them, they look like very beautiful creatures. When you see them in the race, or you see them in movies. I just love horses. Hopefully I'll get some horses soon. (laughs) But you know you can never take a horse from the wild and ride it. You can never. If you try it, either you break your back or the horse gets injured. And so there has to be a period where you break that horse. They call it breaking in, right? And what it entails is that the groomer of the horse will take the horse, begin to take patient steps to ensure that the horse gets familiar with the fact that someone wants to ride it. And then he will come, make it used to people touching it, get it used to people use it to touching it with a rib, putting a saddle upon it, before he's able to ride that horse. Unless that is done, it will never happen. They will never be able to ride that That process could take from four to six weeks. Sometimes it could even take up to 10 weeks before you can break a horse. But unless that horse is broken, the horse is useless. It is pretty much like, yeah, a beautiful piece, but not useful to anyone. I don't know if they eat, eat horse here, but I know back in Nigeria, they, there are some people eat horses. The only thing it should have been good for is for meat. Useless. However, if the horse is broken, it becomes the extension of the one that rides it. If it's a battle ox horse, it becomes what that person who goes to fight can use to fight. It's the same way with yieldedness. Unless we get to the point where we are broken... Where the where our wheel, aligns with the wheel of the father. Just like the wheel of the horse aligns with the wheel of the rider. Now the rider would tell the horse to go this way, it goes that way. And then the rider would tell the horse to jump over a hurdle, it does. Unless we get to that point, we are, not, we are pretty much useless. I'll share another illustration with us. Back in Nigeria, I had this, uh, had this very nice show. Um, a family friend of ours traveled to the UK, they relocated to the UK, and so they sent us a shoe. The shoe was really nice. I was in the university then. It was a Max and Spencer. Very beautiful, nice shoe. Classy. I could wear it on my pants, you know, it, it felt good. And because I was in the university, of course, I, 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 I loved the shoe. So, unfortunately, the shoe was half less my size. It was <laughs> ten and a half. 10.5 um, UK size will be 11, 11 inches here. And, uh, but I wear 44, 45. That's um, European style. And that would be 11 inches. That's what I wear. So when I saw the shoe, I was like, dude, I have to wear this shoe. This shoe really looks nice. And so I thought that if I wore the shoe for a bit, at least it will... It will bend. it will get better, I'll be able to wear it. And then I thought, okay, if I put a shoe horn inside it, it will adapt, right? That's typically what happens to most of our shoes. Most of the shoes I buy I usually, are usually either not my size, but after I wear it for a while, it fits me. But this particular shoe did not conform to any of those rules. I tried as much as I could, but every time I wore that shoe, it was brutal. I will come back to the hostel with bruises on my leg. That, as much as I loved that shoe, there was nothing I could do about it than to gift it to someone else. It was useless to me. No matter how much we are gifted, unless our will is aligned with the will of the Father, we are useless. Yieldedness is when our will is aligned to the will of the Father. And then we become an extension of his hands upon the earth and become tools that he can use for his glory. That's the way your deadness is. And so unless our will is aligned with the will of the Father, and that is, it is our responsibility to align our will with his. He will, like the groomer of the horse, he would whisper to us, He would try to get us to understand what his will is. He would come. He would give us horns to make sure that we are aligned with his will. But the responsibility lies with us to ensure that we are aligned with his will. Otherwise, we will just become a decorative piece that is not useful to anyone. But if you look into your life and ask yourself, could this be the reason why our spiritual growth, our work with God is not growing? Because we're still holding on to our wheels. Because we're still that horse that will not be reading. You're still that horse who still believes that this is my way, this is what I must do, this is how I must do it. And you're not aligning to the will of the Father. The will of the Father will never happen through us if we are not aligned with His will. And so, what do we how do we begin to do things differently? How do we begin to do things differently? So that's the third point that we're talking about, living for kingdom purposes. Living for kingdom purposes. I have four things that I'll talk about on how we can, what we can begin to do differently. The first one will be yielded for Christ. Yielded for Christ. We must come to a realization that our lives don't belong to us. Because we've been bossed with a price. He went through that torment. He went through that terrible pain of having to carry our sins upon himself and to experience the rejection of the Father so that he can buy us with a price. Galatians chapter 2, in verse 20, tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We must come to that realization as believers, that Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so the life we live is his And not ours. And we must live in conformity to what he wants us, to begin to how he wants us to begin to live. This must dictate how we live our lives. We must not live according to the dictates of our flesh. Our flesh wants this, or our desires are this. No, we've been bought with a price. And as believers, we must take what Paul's counsel is in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24. Galatians 5 verse 24 says, and those who has, are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. I love the way the, um, the Passion Translation posts. It says, keep in mind that we who belong to Christ have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. So everything that is connected to our self-life, our selfishness, our self-will, our self-desires, they are crucified on the cross. We must come to that realization. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you must yield as a living sacrifice. You must yield as a living sacrifice. The Lord wants us to live our lives like a living sacrifice. When a sacrifice is made, it is given over. You don't go back there and pick it up because it's sacrifice. You've laid it on the altar and you've burnt it. The Lord wants us as individuals, as believers, to live that way. That's why Paul gave us that counsel in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 in verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not confirm to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know the problem with living sacrifices? They always find a way of crawling off the altar because it's still alive. And that's the problem with most of us. Because we're still alive, we still find, we always find a way to leave the altar. But we must come to the place where we take our personal disciplines seriously. Our personal disciplines that we take on a daily basis, the discipline of studying the Word of God, the discipline of praying every day, the discipline of praying in the Spirit every day, and the discipline of fasting. When we take all of this seriously, we are able to crucify the flesh, and we are able to live according to the dictates of the Lord. And that way, the Lord is able to shine through us and his light shines out of us and others are able to see his good works in us because that's the way we are able to bring his kingdom upon the earth because the kingdom of God is only shown to people by the example we show about, about God. He said, let your light so shine to all men. That's what his counsel is. And Peter was counseling the, us in the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 2. In verse 11, 1 Peter 2 in verse 11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly laws against which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak about you, they may by your good works, which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Here, Paul is telling us that we must, as a living sacrifice, ensure that men are able to see the good works we are doing, that people in our place of work will see us and say, no, I see the way this guy is living. Yeah, he acts like a weird person, though, but his works, what he does is magnificent as a living sacrifice. That's what the Lord wants us to do. Then he's able to enact his will through us. And the third thing is, we must yield ourselves like a soldier of the kingdom. We must yield ourselves like soldiers of the kingdom. Yes, we are pilgrims. But we must never forget that we are soldiers to an army. The army will belong is the kingdom of God. And so he, we must always remember that. And scripture tells us that a soldier doesn't get entangled with the distractions of this life. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 4. It says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affair of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. It's our responsibility to to please the one who has enlisted us. And fulfilling kingdom responsibility remains our passion. It remains our responsibility. We cannot afford to be distracted by the distractions of our everyday life. There's so much distraction these days. I myself, I experience that on a daily basis. I used to, because I love soccer a lot, I used to play what you call fantasy football. So it wasn't just watch the league we would also play fantasy where we decide what players we will choose and then and he always used to get me riled up and I noticed that this was becoming a distraction because you have to plan your team you have to take time plan your team which player is doing very well and all of that then I have to go and study stats and all I told myself dude this is what I'm going to be doing with my life I have to delete everything I had to delete Twitter at a point because it was getting me distracted from the assignment that the master had given to me. And so as a soldier, we are not supposed to get ourselves entangled with things that will distract us from what he has called us to do. And what he has called us to do is he's called us the ministry of reconciliation. Because every day people are dying. Look at what is happening in Israel. Look at what is happening even around us. People are dying every day. Pastor Shion was mentioned was talking about it last week that because we're in the ember months, people are dying in their doves. Are we not concerned about that? Does he not, don't we look at it and say, these people, where are they going to? If we're entangled with other distractions, then we won't do what the Father has asked us to do because he has sent us for the ministry of reconciliation. And unless we tell them, They were not here because there are lots of people in this clime we are in that don't know anything about the gospel. And so it's our responsibility to go and tell them. That's why um, Paul was counseling in Romans chapter 10, in verse 14, he says, how can they call on him for help if they've not believed? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard of? And how can they hear the message of life if there is no one to proclaim it to them? We have been sent. He has sent us. He has given us a commission. He has given us a call. He has told us that if we will be yielded enough to do as he has beaded us. And to give ourselves to the work of reaching out to souls in our community, in our neighborhood. To making sure that this work of the gospel, of wrecking people, reconciling people to the Lord. Of ensuring that His kingdom is done upon the earth. He has called us to do that. And it's our responsibility to make sure we're doing it. Paul said in in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 14, he says, I am obligated. It's an obligation. It's of necessity. I'm obligated to both the Greeks, to the whites, to the black, to the Hispanic, to everyone around us, both to the wise and the foolish. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. If we are going to be God's hands extended, we must not be ashamed of the gospel. And finally, the fourth thing is, yield yourself like a drink offering. Yield yourself like a drink offering. We must be willing to suffer criticism. We must be willing To suffer persecution, we must be willing to get to the point of being counseled to do the will of the Father, and even if it means for us to lay down our lives, we must be willing to do that. Paul was saying in Philippians, Philippians chapter two and verse seventeen, he says, "But I rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God." just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And all of you, to share that joy, this must be our outlook. We must be willing to get to that point that if all that matters is for us to lay down our lives, we will be willing to do that for the will of the Father. That's what the Lord has called us to do. Every time I ask myself, when I see Muslims, and I see a lot of them, look at most of the suicide bombers we have today. They're Muslims. Why? What do they believe in? Why are they willing to lay down their lives for their ideology? You know what they are told? They are told if they die for their religion, they will get seven virgins. Imagine someone giving his life for seven virgins in the afterlife. But we have a more... Sure, word of prophecy. We have a greater heritage. We have a greater glory awaiting us. And if we are not willing to give our lives for that, for what the Lord has done, see what He's done for us. He's promised us greater things than seven virgins. Are we willing to give our lives for Him? Is this is a curse worth dying for. As I bring this to wrap, the Lord has given us an example to follow. He was entirely focused on the will of the Father alone and that must be our focus. He must be yielded, completely surrendered to the will of the Father for us to be useful for him. He must make that our daily commitment every day to come to the altar, to give ourselves to the master's use and to say every day, Lord, your will be done on earth through me. Let's stand. Today is another opportunity for us to be useful vessels for the honor of the Master. If we are true believers, if we are people who are believers indeed, we must give ourselves, dedicate our lives to the Father today. Let's sing the song today. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, my freely give. I will let. is and- to bring it all on the altar this morning? Would you be like that horse whose will is aligned to the will of the Father? Speak to him this morning. For one minute, just speak to him. What is your determination this morning? Would you want to be an ornamental peace in the kingdom or you want to be an extension of his glory upon the earth? Would you want to be a useful vessel? Would you want to be that which is useful for his glory? Or you want to be that shoe that no one can wear? The Lord has given us an example. Even when it wasn't convenient for him. When his nature revolted against it. Yet he did the will of the Father. This morning let's come in total commitment. As a living sacrifice to the Father, to surrender everything, withholding nothing, withholding nothing this morning. In Jesus' name we've prayed. If there's anyone here who hasn't made the Lord Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're not part of the kingdom. But if you'd like to make yourself a useful vessel, to become a part of this kingdom, I'm going to pray a prayer with us this morning. This prayer is not magic. It is not the word that we say that actually has effect, but it's the depth of your confession from your heart that matters. And we are all going to say the prayer with you. And so we are going to say it together. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and for paying the price for my sinfulness. I acknowledge my sins I believe in my heart that you died that I may live again please come into my heart as Lord I confess you as my Lord and personal Savior I ask for grace to live for you daily thank you Thank you for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Believer's House. We hope you've been blessed. Please visit us at www.believershouse.church for more information about our church or to send us your questions, comments, and feedback. We hope to see you again soon.